Hello, everyone, and welcome back to KPMG in Canada's State of Crypto Assets podcast series. Before we get going today, we want to address the gap between episodes. For those of you who may have missed it, KPMG in Canada recently added both Bitcoin and Ether to our corporate treasury before then purchasing an NFT from the World of Women collection processes that took us away from the podcast studio for a couple of weeks. However, we are officially back with a great episode dedicated to our institutional adoption of crypto assets survey and the results that came from said survey. To get us started today, I would like to welcome today's guests, including PodBytes veterans Kunal Basin and Ken Vegas, as well as introducing James Buran from CASA. James, would you like to introduce yourself for our listeners? You bet. Thanks. Well, uh, CASA is short for the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets. Uh, so like, we like to say CASA because it's a bit quicker off the off the tongue there. Um, we began about four years ago, uh, a little bit more than four years ago, and we have more than 330 members now across all parts of the alt industry, including liquid alts, hedge, uh, private equity, venture, real estate, private lending, and of course, digital assets and crypto. Um, pretty good mix of managers, about half managers, quarter investors, pension plans, family offices, and uh, of course, service providers like KPMG. And uh, you know, our goal is to represent the industry at large, provide forums where uh, folks can connect and uh, you know, kind of move forward the conversation with everyone uh, along these many different lines. And we see a fair bit of uh, of overlap as well. A uh, lot of lot of webinars. We've been really busy the last couple of years. Um, that's that's us in a nutshell, I guess. Excellent. Well, it certainly sounds like we've engaged the right man for the job. Welcome to the podcast, James. I want to segue to Kunal. Kunal, you are my why guy. Could you run our <laughs> listeners through why this survey was conducted? Yeah, absolutely, Adam. Uh, you know, pleasure to be here again. So, you know, as we were thinking about our, our practice and how we grow our practice at KPMG, there were a couple of reasons why we thought of the, the survey. Um, one, I mean, we've seen quite a bit of traction in both financial services and institutional investor side, given the regulatory clarity that we have in Canada, um, you know, especially with the crypto ETFs launch uh, in, in the last uh, couple of years. And we wanted to measure the level of institutional adoption, specifically in Canada. And, you know, given that this year is the first year of our annual survey, we will be able to measure the growth and the change in perceptions on an annual basis going forward. Uh, the second reason why we wanted to do the survey was we wanted to gain insights into the factors that were leading to the institu increased institutional adoption on, on both buy and sell side. So as we all know, crypto has had a unique trajectory as an asset class because it, it really started with, with significant retail adoption and, and then moved into institutional adoption uh, for, for various reasons. So, you know, as part of the survey, we, we talked to, uh, we, we collected responses from institutional investors um, that are adopting crypto because, you know, it's no longer uh, a career risk for them. It is now a viable alternative asset class that institutions can allocate to. And, and we have demonstrated that by, by our investments as well. Um, and secondly, we also got responses from the financial services side, which is more likely to adopt crypto and, and offer crypto products and services because their clients are demanding it. And, and if they're not gonna do it, their competitor will. So we wanted to capture both the buy and sell side and, and just given the regulatory clarity, have this survey be, uh, you know, 
play the the role of being able to measure um, the the growth and institutional adoption of crypto assets, which is which is really our objective as practice and, and, and as a firm. Right. That is a fantastic explanation. James, I'm wondering if you could explain to us how this survey differs from mm-hmm. other surveys that have been conducted in this space. Yeah, there's been a few. Um, you know, they usually look at the investors and specifically institutional investors, and uh, we know the take up there has been relatively slow. Uh, as Canal said, though, this is so un- most things started in the institutional realm, went to family op- or family office, and then hit retail. This is probably the only large asset class uh, investment we've seen that's started in retail and has, is now steadily moving up through family offices. I talked to many of them, and and now into the institutional space. So, you know, that's uh, that's important to get. To get all areas of that, but also, you know, to support that, you have to have financial services behind it, like like shops, shops like yours, and, and others that provide uh, the custody and and all the other funded men and trading and such. Um, and that's an area that obviously the regulators are looking at very very uh, carefully to make sure that everything is 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 appropriate and suitable for for the types of investors that are in. But uh, the other ones also are we're typically global or U.S., Asia, Europe. I mean, this is the only one that's Canada, which is fantastic that KPMG in Canada is with uh, you know the. Casa to, to work on this because, um, you know, we're here. Our, our second kind of motto is uh, to bring Canada to the world and the world to Canada. And we think we have a lot of great things going on in crypto here. When I travel around, people think, wow, Canada, you guys got lots of crypto. You guys are totally onto it. And um, they're uh, they're just really happy to have, uh, uh, you know, countries like ours that are that are leading the charge here. So um, I love that it's Canada and that it's looking at the full kind of ecosystem versus just what the investors are, are, are looking at because they really need to have that that um, that service provider backdrop before they can invest. So it'll be a bit of a leading indicator, I think. You nailed it, James. And I love that it's Canada too. So, so interesting and really first of its kind type of survey in the Canadian market. So I think we provided a, a really good overview of the why as well as the how. But Ken, I want to come to you. Could you give us a high-level overview of what the survey findings actually tell us? For sure. The, uh, the crypto industry, it's maturing. The alternative asset class, it can no longer be ignored. And I would encourage every organization to at least do a little bit of research and look into the whole crypto ecosystem in order to see if it's the right fit for them. As Kanal stated earlier, adoption was initially driven by retail demand. The lack of maturity among early crypto service providers made it challenging for institutions to participate in the market. Now, with institutional demand growing, the crypto market infrastructure increasingly resembles the traditional financial ecosystem, and it's improving rapidly to meet their needs. That's a really helpful overview. Thank you, Ken. So you alluded to it without exactly hitting on it, but based on the survey responses, could you tell us about how crypto assets are perceived by both institutional investors and financial institutions? For sure. Generally speaking, both financial service and institutional investors have some remaining concerns around regulatory clarity, although a bit less of an issue for an institutional investor as the regulatory requirements tend to be a little bit more steep or strict um, to offer a service. Now, the lack of regulatory clarity comes as a slight surprise given that the fact that Canada was the first country to allow crypto asset ETFs. This could be driven by other participants, such as organizations trading crypto assets directly, 
as opposed to a regulated investment product. Now, the data shows that many organizations across both groups remain neutral toward crypto assets, but only a few feel strongly positive about crypto assets. Now, my expectation is that in 2022, we will see more groups shift from holding neutral views towards crypto, uh, neutral views towards crypto to feel slightly and strongly positive. This will be driven by continued institutional adoption. You know, Ken, mm-hmm. you know, I love talking to you because not only do you offer this fabulous insight, but often unknowingly, you provide a perfect segue to my next question, which I'm going to be directing to James. James, Ken touched on the expectation that sentiment towards crypto will continue to shift towards the positive side in 2022. But how are perceptions impacting the actions some of these organizations are, are taking? So specifically, when we talk about some of the adoption trends that the mm-hmm. survey revealed. Yeah, he's totally right. Uh, you know, Ken, Ken, Ken nailed it. What I love about this survey is it's a baseline. So it's the first one. And I, I was almost happy to see some strongly negative, slightly negative, because it can only get better from here. We um, we did a crypto venture uh, panel a few weeks ago, and and one of the quotes from that was, you know, nine months ago it was a career risk to look into crypto if you're working at a major pension plan. Now it's career risk if you don't know how this stuff works. So uh, we we also had a digital assets uh, global exchange conference last September, all all digital, so you know pe- people could go and and uh, people wouldn't necessarily know that that, that they were there. Um, we had a lot of people from pension plans. So I think some some folks at those plans kind of told their team, hey, you know what? Here's a place to learn about this stuff and uh, and get some great info, ask some questions. And, you know, next year or this year, when 2022, when we're in person, maybe they maybe they come to the uh, to the venue as well. But, uh, you know, there's it, it's really been a bit of a sea tide. And we've seen this. Um, I've seen this past in my career in Korea when we started working with fund of hedge funds. Things were negative, negative, negative until suddenly they they kind of turned an inflection point. So um, it may not be everybody's super positive right away. It'll take a while. Um, I've been traveling a lot and some other pension plans, they've said, no, we're not into crypto at all. We're not even looking at it. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, at some point they will be. And that's great because uh, if everybody's in, it may not be that great of a trade, but it's... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wild what, what's happening here. Um, and you're right, too, with the uh, with what Canada's been doing. I, I went to the, the hearing, actually, at the Ontario Securities Commission uh, for one of the funds that were coming out. And the, one of the main arguments, so along with all the other the other parts of that is very similar, actually, to many of the uh, equity and trading and uh, uh, bond trading ecosystems, is that Canadians and people around the world are buying it anyways. So it's great to have a regulated vehicle with prescribed custodians and brokers and and fund administration tools that, that are there, so that everybody makes sure that they have uh, they have um, you know true true ownership of these assets, and um, you know be, be, way better than having an unregulated exchange where people will end up going and and you know maybe maybe not only having investment losses but also perhaps fraud or all these other types of things that can occur when things are not regulated. Thank you for those insights, James. So we've talked a lot about positive perceptions and increased adoption on today's episode, but I want to segue to some of the barriers to adoption that were noted by respondents. Maybe Kunal, could you take us through these? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as as part of our survey, we we wanted to look at both the uh, the perception as well as you know what's re- what are the challenges 
that both buy and sell side are facing in in the institutional adoption and and as James mentioned you know this is the first of its kind in, in the first year for the survey well it's it just gets more positive from here so so it was good to see those challenges um the key challenges that that were highlighted as part of the survey was one you know not to our surprise was regulation um mm-hmm. you know regulatory clarity has been provided by by the various uh, canadian institutions it it is just that there still needs to be more regulatory clarity that that needs to be provided we know that you know bitcoin and ethereum are are investable assets uh but investors are still uncertain whether the other crypto assets such as stable coins or other tokens will those be classified as securities and if they are how do they actually you know treat them so there are still you know especially on the institutional investor side there there is still some more clarity that needs to be provided and also i would say a role on the institutional investor side needs to be played by looking at all of these regulations a lot more deeply and understanding how the other financial services providers are able to help them meet these regulations so uh that said financial services are also you know struggling around offering various products especially the ones that involved yields and derivatives uh we've seen some some you know action come out of the US as well uh some some major fines that were brought out as well so you know that those kind of things really sets things back for for both uh institutional investors and financial services the other um barrier to adoption that we we saw was custody um and investors cited their concern over you know safeguard being able to safeguard their own assets and and understanding how to manage the the counterparty credit risk so that that's a fair you know fair barrier to adoption but i think it's just working with um working with a custodian that is able to provide that institutional level offering is is going to be key uh for for continued adoption um and and there are quite a few um custodians that are coming up with their institutional offerings both uh, you know here in Canada we have some qualified custodians as well uh, as well as you know some of the major custodians from from uh, outside of Canada as well so really looking into how do how do you assess these custodians uh, how do you manage the that counterparty credit risks how do you manage the operations with these custodians is going to be be key to understanding uh for for this barrier to be to be lifted um the third one is price volatility <laughs> as we all know uh you know crypto is quite volatile um and i think a lot of that has to do with um the the whole you know in the past as we said retail was the one that initially adopted crypto and we see, we saw price movements based on some news or or something that was on crypto twitter um but as we are continuing to see more maturity in the space and more institutions coming in that volatility is is actually you know settling down a bit uh that being said it is still volatile and and you know crypto is still at the the higher uh, risk spectrum for for asset classes but this this does introduce um you know and and lastly the fact that crypto trades 24/7 so that actually brings in additional market and and operational risk uh as well as you know some enhanced liquidity and set- settlement requirements that need to be tackled so while these concerns we believe will 
will likely remain persistent in, in this year in 2022. Uh, we recognize that the crypto asset industry will will continue to mature with its various you know custodial solutions uh, we will get more regulatory clarity we're, we're hoping to get more regulatory clarity especially um you know from from osv for banks in the space to be able to provide some of these products and services um and and furthermore as more institutional investors enter the space um we we know that traditional financial services will start to develop offerings um, to to, ma to manage those demands as well. So yeah, no, I think you know these are some of the various um, barriers to adoption that were cited in our report, and I don't believe anything out of this comes as a surprise to us. I think it's just now that that these various institutions understand what are the barriers. It's about, you know, recognizing how to manage these barriers. And, and that's something that, that we've done a lot with our clients. Yeah. And they've really started to talk about it amongst themselves too, socialize it. Cause I was I just at a conference, uh, had a, had a, like a discussion room on, on crypto operational due diligence and <clears throat> really great panelists. And, uh, the room was, so one of the panelists said, you know, we did something like this in 2019, two people were here. Now this room is so packed. We've got people standing up. One person is like, like kind of almost sitting on the floor. It's like just so, so packed. Like it was, it was a big deal. And one of the things that came up was, you know, what about, what about gray lists? Um, what, what do you do there? Like, do you allow people to trade crypto because you're trading in it? Maybe you're trading in, in um, some of these new tokens that are going to come out. Like, how do you, how do you work on that? So they, it's great that they're talking about it. They don't quite have, you know, all the answers yet, but you know, these, these ops, uh, and compliance uh, pros at the at the fund managers and, and investors are really looking at that. Uh, some of them would say, well, we don't really care about Bitcoin and Ethereum because, you know, it's hard to manipulate that. It's so big. But all the other ones are are on the list um, uh, for the do not trade or, 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 or gray list. Uh, and others that were strictly trading Bitcoin and Ethereum have said, no, no, we actually have these on our gray list. So depending on how they look at the market, um, they're they're look they're, they're developing their own solutions and it's great that the industry is uh, is, is doing this yeah and, and and i think you know the great point uh, for the regulators is that you know the regulators are more receptive to to receiving mm -hmm. um you know applications and engaging with the the institutional participants and you know the crypto native companies that are looking to offer services um yeah i think you know that's that's a great we we hope to see a lot more regulatory clarity come out of these discussions. Uh, and we have quite a few forums, you know, like TASA, we have uh, Canadian Blockchain Consortium, like all of these are, are really trying to push the boundaries for, for Canadian, uh, you know, regulatory clarity to be, to be provided. And, and that really sets the precedent for, um, for other countries as well. James, such a polarizing example. And Kunal, thank you for a fantastic overview, really. You know, as an aside, and it maybe a bit of a glimpse behind the scenes of this podcast. I want to share one thing that I've noticed, particularly through the planning of this episode and even just leading up to the recording. It's just the downright excitement that you all exhibit about the survey and its results. So I was wondering if we could each maybe take some time to talk about what the most interesting finding was in your eyes. James, as our guest of this episode, we'll offer you the floor first before then going to Kunal and then finally Ken. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, there's one little chart there that I really like or was interested in. So pretty surprising that 29% of the respondents are already allocating directly to crypto. That I thought was, was high-ish, but maybe maybe, it's, maybe the sample, uh, they're excited as well. But uh, but uh, that's that's great to see if that, if that continues. That, that's fantastic. 
that's obviously one way to, to get access. Regulated products at 50% really makes sense. Like I say, for the for the uh, for the reasons with, uh, with the OSC hearing, that getting through uh, getting getting access uh, to these these uh, return streams through some types of from ETF or closed end trust or what have you it really can make a lot of sense. Um, you know, on a personal note, if it's in your RSP then when you pass on it goes to your wife and kids or whatever or your spouse and kids that's that's fantastic versus not knowing necessarily where your keys are um uh the vc and hedge exposure uh you know that's the next logical line like i say with our crypto venture panel that we had that makes sense that is that is where a lot of institutional investors already have investments in the venture capital space soon the, the crypto area will probably mature to be more private equity maybe there'll be lbos at some point here but um you know it's kind of going up and down the the water the, the different waterfalls um and uh you know given how high the uh, how high custody and the like are in the risk categories you know it would make sense that um i, I, I thought it kind of made sense that the uh that the direct crypto access would be lower but you know, all the other ones really, really make a lot of sense here, uh, especially like pu public equities too. That's that's kind of a no-brainer. You're just buying a company stock, and even in the uh, even in the retail realm, buying a company stock is probably one of the easiest things to do. More easier than than a mutual fund sometimes because it has to get on the platform, or getting directly into crypto. So it's uh, yeah, these these all made sense. And I, I say I was surprised about the direct crypto access access being so high. Yeah, um, I I would say you know. Um, Really, two uh, at least, you know, the one that really stood out for me was um, the investment thesis for institutional investors. Uh, maximum percentage of institutional investors cited DeFi services as as their investment thesis for adopting crypto, which I thought was was one really cool, and and second that was that was very unexpected. Um, we. You know, as a team, we've been working with DeFi quite a bit. Uh, we're, we're actually doing demos with, with clients. So that really goes to show that institutional investors are interested just beyond, you know, investing in, in Bitcoin and Ethereum directly or, or indirectly. But they are also interested in the yield generation, the stable coins and, and how they can actually leverage DeFi services. And now we have institutional offerings for DeFi out there as well. So I, I thought this was really, really interesting. Um, the other one that I wanna, I wanna highlight is, you know, one of the drivers of adoption, um, which our, our investment uh, institutional investors cited was leadership buy-in. We, we couldn't agree more. Like we had to go through that same cycle as part of our eight or nine month long journey to get Bitcoin and Ethereum on our treasury. And, you know, once, we had to get do a lot in order to to get that leadership buy-in, but I think that really really pushed us to to do all our due diligence in, in the right manner to, to get there. Well, I think you nailed it there. Um, I was just going to mention that you know one of the interesting facts that I found in our survey was that uh, most of the participants have a neutral or positive view towards crypto, and as Adam mentioned earlier, with our public announcement that KPMG uh, allocated Bitcoin and Ethereum to our balance sheet, I think it further support supports that point, given that it was such a it was so well received amongst uh, all institutions and within the media. It's Itself. So I think, you know, this is very optimistic. It keeps me bullish. And um, I think we'll see a lot more, a lot more institutions adopting crypto 
in the near future. I love the optimism. I love the passion that you all have. It's all over these responses and it is so great to hear. So to wrap up today's session, I really want to end on a, well, it's a rather large question for our group. It's really because there is no doubt that crypto is here to stay. So the question pertains to organizations and what they can do to get involved. Kunal, do you want to start us off? Yeah, absolutely. I think just um, first thing that, that we tell our, our various clients that we work with um, is if you want to stay relevant in, in the next five to 10 years, um, you, you really need to know how crypto impacts your business and, and how you can get involved, right? And and this is not uh, not only like financial services and, and institutional investors, but also uh, industries outside of these two, because you know, crypto is is here to stay, as as you said, and it is becoming an investable asset class. It is going to to continue to see that growth and in, in, as an investment, but also, you know, we'll see growth of the likes of stable coins and and other kind of crypto assets, which will play a large role in um, in how we transact with each other, how we transact with companies. So. It's no longer just limited to just you know institutional investors and financial services, but any organization um, that's out there, whether you're a charity, whether you're you're a business that that wants to accept crypto assets as payment, you know there are lots of opportunities out there. And and the first question really is how does this impact us, and and how can we engage? How can we take advantage of this this new asset class that's that's booming? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liken it to kind of. Uh... Like the internet, I mean, many have obviously. I think now on a, on the um, adoption basis, it's about 1998, which we know what happened then. 1999 was huge for internet stocks, and then there was a TMT crash and such. And so there will be volatility in this. But I mean, with that though, what you what you got out of the internet was the worldwide in the World Wide Web was not just a website. It was really a way of 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 uh, you know doing commerce uh, without having to send faxes. And and such and and just a free transfer of information. This is, you know, with the Ethereum being you know the world's biggest supercomputer. Then you have Bitcoin being inflation-proof uh, uh, money or, or currency. I kind of call it a store of currency right now because at some point we'll be able to actually use it in a meaningful way, like they are in El Salvador. But um, so I think if, if folks go to and this is a little self-serving because we we have like a whole training day at our at our. Uh, digital conference where people can learn a lot about it. Kunal, of course, has been uh, has been presenting at it over the last while too, um, and you know just try to figure out where they can fit within this versus uh, a blanket statement of this is a this is a scam or this is the best thing in the world. There's there's some place I think for many businesses, many industries, um, whether it's mining it or like like the old. Uh, you know, 1849, getting the uh, being the pick, providing the picks and shovels to the uh, to the miners and such, and, and all the other ancillary services around it. So, I think it behooves most, or if not all, companies to to see how um, how they can fit into this. James, I think that's a great point. You know, I think most institutions and corporations out there need to keep an open mind about crypto assets, and it really starts with education, understanding all the complexities that crypto has, um, and also getting that firsthand experience will really open their mind to the opportunities within the crypto ecosystem. And I think, you know, going forward, even retail investors are likely to continue rapidly adopting crypto assets. So, you know, within DeFi, NFT, and uh, GameFi sectors, 
it, they'll all continue to bring new participants to the space. And we can talk about this trend in our next episode when we turn our focus to NFTs, GameFi, and Metaverse. Um, but this is something that will push traditional financial institutions and institutional investors to learn more about. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Ken, you, one of the points that you mentioned was, was spot on, the hands-on experience. Um, you know, one of the the way for even us to get that leadership buy-in as, as KPMG in Canada engaged with crypto was to to get, get our leadership hands-on experience working with hardware wallets, interacting with uh, with DeFi services, you know, transferring crypto, buying crypto, uh, being able to custody crypto as well. So we had to get that hands-on experience for them to really understand the power of this, this technology, this innovation. Um, and I think that's going to be key. And um, one of the things that I want to mention is DeFi. I think we're, we're going to have a whole separate episode on it. But given the, the stat that really stood out for me, I think institutions that want to experience uh, or at least see the, hands, uh, see the experience of, of how one uses DeFi applications, um, our treasury initiative has now allowed us to, to actually engage and give live demos of these DeFi applications as well. So I think that's, that's been proving really, really helpful for a lot of institutions to wrap their head, heads around what DeFi is, how to engage with this, how can they actually provide, um, get more yields out of, out of this as well. So it, it's a really exciting time for for us as a practice and and for the whole crypto community as as a whole and we just want to play our part in promoting the community uh, across the globe not only in canada gents this has been great but unfortunately we are out of time for today's episode to wrap i would like to extend a big thank you to ken kunal and james for joining me today we appreciate it very much that's been great thanks a lot thanks adam Thanks, Adam. This has been great. And I think uh, we'll have some great discussions in the future as well. Absolutely. And in addition to these awesome guests, I would also like to extend a big thank you to our loyal listeners. Stay tuned for a brand new episode next week when we will dive into all things NFT. Bye for now, everyone. <laughs>